Hello everyone and welcome to the 4th and in Inches podcast with your host Stuart Love, Gareth Howells and Sukdeep Pune. Hey boys, how are you doing the last few weeks? I'm not bad, I'm just happy to sort of get on with doing a podcast to be honest. It feels like ages since we last done one, doesn't it? Yeah, it's about two and a half weeks I think it's been, but there's been a lot going on in the world. Um, yeah, I've been getting sort of the, the, the business side of things back up and running, so yeah, that, that's been good. How have you been Gareth? Good man, Wales is starting to get back to normal now. Everybody's ignoring what any politician is saying. My local kebab shop's back open. Uh, it's every man for himself. It's like Escape from New York, that film with Kurt Russell. People are just cracking on and, and doing what they want. So I mean, I'm I just... obviously still being responsible, but you walk yeah. out the front door and yeah, people just don't care anymore. Uh, well, I've noticed it in the last 24 hours, especially with that whole Cummings incident. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually just seeing people not giving an absolute F now. They're basically saying, if he can do it, why can I not do it? So, I mean, we don't obviously want to make this um, podcast all political and stuff, but I think the last 24 to 48 hours is is quite scary for the nation. So if anyone's listening there, forget what's happened, you know, with, with Cummins and just do what we've been doing for the last two months and stay stay safe, stay home and be wise because we can get out this all together. He really does look exactly. like a mad scientist, though, doesn't he? He just doesn't do himself any favour yeah. that forehead. Like, love him. It's just the arrogance of you know. him as well in his interview, just the arrogance that he's yeah. shown as well. It just literally put in two fingers up to the nation, wasn't it? Yeah, and then Boris came out today. He's like, we totally support him. If he's a father and a family, he can do that. And we won't go too much into there, but there's people, yeah. people that have had to go through horrific situations with family and whatever and had to stay at home, yet he can travel yeah. pretty much to the border of, border of Scotland. Exactly. And, and do as he wishes, where that part of um, England is one of the most affected in the whole UK. So, exactly. Um, but for anyone listening here, we're not a political podcast. Everyone's got their own opinions. And obviously, we don't want to change how you think. But please stay safe and, and do what you've been doing um, for the, the last two months. But for me personally, I mean, the last um, two weeks um, since we've done the last pod, I've, I've just been on a binge. Have any of you guys seen that last dance? I mean, oh my oh, God. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely it's amazing. love it. Yeah. I'm not the biggest basketball fan, oh, um, yeah. but as a whole now, I've got a whole new appreciation for the NBA, Michael Jordan. I mean, as a kid growing up, you know, I was an NFL guy, soccer, golf, snooker, stuff, and I always knew who Dennis Rodman was, and what, I knew who Larry so, Bird and all that. Yep. What about the Highland Games? Like, did you used to watch them, like the cable tossing and all that kind yes. of thing? Yes, <laughs> I <Yeah>. still do. <laughs> <laughs> I was amazed by that as a kid. What are these yeah. guys doing? But I put in that documentary, because I've seen it all over social media, that everyone's like, oh, you've got to see this last dance. And I was like, I'll give it a go. Within five minutes of watching it, I, I literally watched the whole lot in the space of eight hours. So I went to bed about 8.30 in the morning. It just blew me away. I mean, what an athlete yeah. Michael Jordan was. I mean, were you guys into basketball growing up as kids? Yeah. Yeah, yeah go oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I was going to say, um, yeah, I, I did grow up watching a bit of the NBA in the 90s. Um, Re- I was actually a big fan of Reggie Miller, who I was delighted that with one of the um, episodes, they highlighted a lot about Reggie Miller and the way he sort of took on the Bulls unsuccessfully. But yeah. obviously there was not many teams that were successful against the Bulls. Um, I think what the podcast, um, sorry, podcast, what the actual um, series highlights is, literally how much influence Michael Jordan's had, not just in the game, but just generally in terms of the whole marketing thing with Nike. I mean, before Jordan was about, Nike was just a small 
company. They were second to champion, uh, not champ- Adidas. Adidas, yeah, but champ. champ- yeah. And Converse, Converse were doing Larry Bird and all these guys. Exactly. And then, and then obviously, then yeah, turned him down. I can't believe that. And then he went with Nike, and then they paid them something like two hundred and fifty grand. But Larry Bird was only getting a hundred grand at Converse, and then it ended up turn, turning over something. It was a hundred and twenty-five million, something crazy. Yeah, and, and the first, but I mean, the thing that it really impressed me with Michael Jordan was is, was his dedication to just perfection. He didn't want to socialize with all these other guys, and he was so competitive that he didn't mm. have a gambling problem. He was just addicted to well, he did. winning, winning. <laughs> yeah, he had a you massive know the... gambling problem. He even said, "I can stop whenever I want," which is what every addict ever says. I I played <laughs> basketball um, when I was in I was like 13, 14, 15 for Bagman Boys Club, Go Bags, and I'm a big Utah Jazz fan, so I kind of grew up, you know. Watching these guys, and well, I won't go into it too much. I'll just I'll just rant about how amazing it was. But what I loved more than anything was the way that they went behind the players. Steve Kerr's story about his father and that game-winning shot when yeah. Jordan of the double team tried to pick and roll and just said to him, "Look, I'm going to hand it off to you." And the Rodman episode as well. Well, that guy went through. Um, it was. It's probably the best bit of television I've seen in a long, long time. And I'm going to watch it again and again and again. And I hope. Yeah, spoons more documentaries like it, you know. But there's apparently going to be a Tom Brady one soon. Yeah, yeah, no, looking at doing the nine part series. The, they've already started filming it, so they, they, they've already got yeah. some some stuff from being in New England, and then obviously I think they were going to continue this season. But the fact that he's, he's went to the Bucks, they've, they've just excelled it now because obviously him going there and Rob Gronkowski. So that's going to be amazing. I mean, it's going to be absolutely amazing. But apart from that. Um, there's been some real cool... Well, I mean, things seem quiet in the NFL at the moment, but news-wise, um, the first thing that's popped up at the moment is, um, which is positive, um, is the NFL looking at over 50% capacity at stadiums. How do you guys feel about that? Well, so, I mean, I like... until there's a vaccine, then how can they reasonably say that things are going to return to normal? You know, if they if they do something like that, then they'll be doing it for compensatory purposes and not in the, the public health interest. I don't know what you reckon. Yeah. It just seems odd. Suk, what do you how do you feel about this one? I completely don't agree with it at all. Um yeah. I, I, I just don't fit believe in the whole philosophy of what the US is doing in terms of handling the whole pandemic, to be honest. Um I, I don't agree with half of the things that they've done in Florida in terms of opening up um, arenas and sport events, you know, WWE more notably. And I, and I know there's no... I just don't see the logic in it. And I understand, obviously, at that point, then things might be better. But I think just for safety aspect, you're going to create a massive problem if you're only getting 50% of uh, fans in attendance. Because who do you prioritise in that situation? Do you prioritise season ticket holders where there's going to be at least 70% of the whole capacity of season ticket holders? So who, who do you give what, that priority to in terms of games? What Both. it does, it, it, it speaks to how commercialised America really is. The, and it, it goes all the way to political lobbying. It's a different environment over there. It's a different business environment. Um, we know we say things like money talks, but but over there the dollar really is king more so than than it is in places like Britain, where legislation stops you doing things like that. So it's no doubt 
if, if anything like that does happen, it's because people with a, a hell of a lot of money have lobbied the league and lobbied local politicians to allow it to happen. That's why it's happening, mm. not in the public interest. I, yeah. I personally think there won't be any fans in attendance. From what I understand is the the individual clubs, and notably one of them, the Steelers, are literally just selling 50% of their capacity at the moment. Yes. I imagine that's going to change um, and th- these fans will be given refunds quite soon. Um, once, obviously, further news develops, I-, I just can't see it personally. I don't think... Th- I personally think no sporting event should have any fans in attendance yeah. for the rest of the year. Or and until I, at least I, a vaccine, I, yeah. Totally yeah. Agree. I mean, what what I find interesting though is, yeah, fair enough, um, Hinesfield at half capacity is about 37,000. Yeah. So the fans are spread all over the stadium. But tailgating, how do you control tailgating? Yeah. <laughs> it's not just about the fans being in the stadium, it's about people trying to Watching social distance out. Yeah, yeah even in bars. And, yeah. Transport as well, public transport. They, yeah. How do they get to these games? You know, some, I mean, for Airplanes. example, yeah, yeah uh, I mean, for example, if you're going to, say, the 49ers game in Santa Clara, that is literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Foxborough as well, in the middle of nowhere. These fans rely on public transport systems to get from A to B. You can't just simply go in a car and get there and not sort of be in touch with, with other humans. It's just not possible. You know? Um, as well. you, you know, they're asking them to come in and put themselves at risk for the sake of, you know, a, exactly. it's, 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 a, it's a sport. You know, at the end of the day, it really is just a game when, when, when all is yeah. said and done. So you've got people coming in on not highly paid jobs for no, you know, overarching reason other than the league wants to squeeze a few dollars out of people it's, it doesn't sit well at all no, yeah definitely not well we could talk about this one all day but we'll move on to the the next topic and I know Gareth is absolutely champing at the bit here but over the last sort of 10 to 12 days we've had six arrests in the NFL Gareth what's going on buddy I tell you what's going on um, I reckon there was this massive party Right after the Super Bowl, where they all got together, like in a dead poet society, in some cave or something, um, a load of like high-ranking players. They took a load of mushrooms and they went, Do you know what? Saw that um, we see how this pans out in the off season, and they, they can't hold their drugs and they haven't reacted well because it's just gone absolutely balmy. But the worrying thing is as well is like why the guns? Like, do you know what I mean? If if you're going to screw up as an NFL player. Then why are the why why have the guns got to be involved, and why why are you robbing people? Forget I mean Earl Thomas. This Earl Thomas is is nothing. He's like I forgot about that. <laughs> I, <was just, laughs> I actually forgot about Earl Thomas. Mate, honestly, oh, you think God. of what he did. Super Smash like, Oh yeah, uh, Earl was okay, no problem. I mean, the thing about Earl Thomas, he was like telling everybody, you know, yeah, but you know, th- this is just you know one of those things. It's like Earl, like what does it have to be for it to be more than a thing? You had an orgy with your brother and your missus turned up with guns with her mates, you know? But he, he is right. That was nothing, you know? It just yeah. totally one-upped him. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. And it's not to- going to stop as well. I think there's going to be more. Yeah. To be fair to Earl, at least he's um, a veteran, you know, he's a veteran player and he's been in the game for a number of years. He's, he's sort of he now... He an orgy. Yeah, he deserves, <laughs> he deserves one or two now after yeah. all the... Yeah. Uh, I love the fact his brother's called Seth. Seth and Earl, they sound like a really shit YouTube comedy duo. Yeah. <laughs> I think he just wanted a few more interceptions, you know, he didn't have enough last season, did he? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, these guys are on the nail. I mean, definitely I can see over the course of the next four weeks, there's definitely going to be a lot more drama. But 
as me and Gareth are Steelers fans, Sook, you're going to have to Sook this one right up. But Big Ben's back. I mean, he's back. I'm absolutely buzzing. I mean, I think the whole haircut and beard trim thing has been absolutely blown out of proportion. But, you know, um, it, having your man back, you know, he's my QB um, and he's healthy, he's throwing the ball. And what you've got to remember is last year offensively, we were poor and we went eight and eight. And that was just with two pure QBs um, and underperforming Juju, James Connor not running the ball well. Um, now we've got Juju um, and Connor. I mean, they're looking jacked. You know, Juju's looking ripped. He's put weight on. I mean, he's looking great. With addition to Claypool coming in, is looking promising. We've got a top 5D. So I'm very optimistic going forward. So Gareth, I'll ask you first, yeah. how are you feeling about the Steelers going forward? Especially with Big Ben and the whole haircut thing. And what was your feeling on that? Well, I thought it was going to be like that biblical figure, Samson. Like when he cuts his hair, his beard, he's not going to be as good a quarterback. Because I got so used to it, looking like, I don't know, some kind of like mad hobo wandering the streets of Pittsburgh. <laughs> so when I saw that was me last him, year. <laughs> yeah, he lost like a bit of his aura. But yeah, listen, you know, um, I don't think that, I mean, going beyond the quarterback problems, I don't think we used Juju well at all last year as well. Um, he's much better in the, deep, in, the, in, the, in the slot than he is a deep threat. Uh, yes, you know he, he did need the bulk up. Yeah, you know he didn't. It's the first time I've seen him with like proper carved abs. But what what I love about Ben is, is that the fact that we're talking about him as this inspirational figure is that's indicative of the kind of player that he is. And he, you know he's barely thrown a ball all off season. He just gives so much more. I mean, he's not you know, yeah, he's he's a he's a bit of a gunslinger behind the line, and you know he's not the most graceful quarterback. And there's, there's far better you know um, quarterbacks out there than him, but. You just get the sense that they just the whole team just longed for him to, to to be coming back, you know. And I don't think it's an indictment of Rudolph, you know. Um, but oh God, we just needed him so much. And I'm, I think it's a testament to Tomlin that we went eight tonight. I, I I think it really is. Like I, I think it was masterful the fact that he managed to engineer eight victories from from the from that team was just nothing short of phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, what impressed me so much was and I think it was a blessing in disguise for week two for him to get that injury because it's give him by the time he comes back a whole calendar year to get healthy yeah. get to a place where I mean the, the Steelers have pulled him back and really worked on him and gave him every possible chance coming into this new season to get so healthy and I was speaking to someone earlier and he hit it absolutely on the nail is Tom Brady automatically makes the Buccaneers better just by him walking in that dressing room, every player in there automatically has to raise their game because they're like, oh my God, this is Tom Brady. So automatically his expectations yeah. just take it to the next level. And Ben coming back healthy, as soon as he walks in that dressing room, forget Hodges, forget you know Rudolph. As soon as he walks in there healthy and ready to take control of that uh, locker room, all of a sudden, everyone raises their game. He's the last one left as well, mate. They, they've all gone. And, they've, they've retired. Yeah. Two other teams, Brady, uh, two Mannings, Rivers has gone. Um, you know, Eli, packed yeah. up his four trailers to take his 53 kids. You know, the, yeah, and, they've all gone. He, he's, he's the last one left. And I just love yeah, it. Yeah, he's going to end his career there as well. I, I, I love it when players do that, for whatever. Yeah, team. I mean, Suk, what's your whole take on the whole haircut issue and well, yeah. situation? Jig, it was blown oh. out of proportion. Well, first of all, sorry, not to not to burst your bubble, Gareth, but Rivers is still playing. He's at the goal. Well, that's what I said. I so, mean, players, QBs that have from that veteran class that have either gone to other teams. Ah, uh, yeah. okay. Sorry, yeah. I thought you meant as in he's, uh, he's retired. No, but yeah, I think it goes without saying, you know, the longevity of his career. I, th I honestly think, yes, the Steelers were definitely missing mm. 
Big Ben's presence. Uh, I mean, how how can you not? Um, and given the fact that now they've got rid of those um, loose cannons in Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, Bell, yeah, I think now that that team is going to be all in on Big Ben. You know, when he walks into that dressing room, and I think you, you guys are absolutely right. For him to go eight and eight, um, as in the Steelers right. go eight and eight last season, was just amazing. I, I just still shocked that they managed to do that. To be honest, and. It's going to be a tough division. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still think the Ravens are way ahead. But I don't think the Steelers are too much behind, to be honest. Um, The Browns are unpredictable. Bengals, I still think, are going to struggle. I still expect the Steelers to be in there uh, for a playoff push. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if they won their division, to be honest. But obviously, at the minute, everyone's all in on, you know, Ravens and and Lamar. Lamar, yeah. No, I agreed 100%. And I've, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts um, over the last sort of two weeks as we've sort of just had a little break. And everyone is saying, you know, do not write off the Steelers because we've got that top 5D. If Ben can get that offence working really well, and as uh, Gareth has said, you know, you get Claypool, you get Spitz. Oh, Gareth, what a time to be a Steelers fan now going into this season. It's exciting. It's you very just say exciting. Ryan Switzer. You just say Switzer. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, stick him in the country tunes, man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, Ryan Switzer, like, what they should have on Madden, yeah, if you're playing as Ryan Switzer, every single button should be fair catch. Every oh, single button. Fuck. Either wow. fair catch or L2 would be, like, three-yard gain, and that's it. Uh, Here's now, a hot take for you. Chase Claypool, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, yes, yes. Of course he is. I definitely, yeah. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> if, if he, he's, but, um, he's got to quicken up, he has. He's got to quicken up to be a deep threat. Um, but yeah, I just we just needed that wide receiver to move Juju in the slot. Juju's not an outside receiver. He so isn't. Like, no. no. He proved that last year in my fantasy football league just absolutely ruined us. Yeah. Have any of you picked up Claypool in any of your fantasy? No, I don't play any sort of dynasty leagues. I just literally play... Start, you know, start again each year. So ah, right. For us, it's still too soon to be drafting. Um, we'll probably be looking at drafting around July time. Right. Um, but yeah, we definitely, I definitely want to pick up some of the rookies this year in one of the later rounds. Oh, absolutely. So to finish up on the news section, um, this is an interesting one. Joe Flacco going to the Jets. Do you think it's a good move? I think it's a safe move. I like it. Um, personally, I think. Uh, he kind of mirrors Sam Donald in terms of personality, doesn't he? They're, they're not very vocal Boring. leaders. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of how they deal with the offense, um, I think they're quite same in their mannerisms. I think Flacco is extremely underrated, to be honest. I think a lot of people give him flack, pun, atten- pun intended. Um, <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I'm sorry. Oh. I love it. Yeah, but oh. I, think, I think he does get a lot of flack just because he's not that personality. But oh, what we got there? Don't know. Maybe oh. maybe, maybe the neighbours are getting picking up on my signal. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, some of our listeners are trying to get into our podcast by the by the sounds of it. <laughs> that that's for another day, guys. But anyway, Joe Flacco, personally speaking, I think he's definitely going to be um, a good backup. You know, former Super Bowl MVP that season. I think a lot of people forget about. It. I'm sure Steelers fans do, but. That season when they got to the Super Bowl, that game against Denver, 
just absolutely, he came of age that day. And I, I just think, you just don't know that he might still have that in him, you know. Um, what do you guys think? I'm calling it. I don't think that he's going to recover from that neck surgery better than most people think he is. And I think mm. he's going to struggle. I really do. That's exactly, I'm on the same boat as you. I don't think, I think yeah. he's probably there to be more of a mentor. Yeah, for Sam Donald and, and and really Absolutely. and really just guide him and give him that experience yeah. because I mean he's got the talent. Why? Yeah, why I just would think he, he just risk, needs? Why? Why would he risk taking snaps and? Well, I mean, he's only going to play if if Donald goes down. I know, but uh, yeah, he's yeah. He's, he's he's there. He's there as a mentor. Absolutely. Yeah, they've also got James Morgan as well, who they drafted uh, from Florida International. He's he's one of those. Um, Underrated QBs as well that I looked at, I thought could definitely come in as a number two as well. So don't forget also, he could also be there to mentor James Morgan as well. So when the time does come, he'll be in there in the number two position what, as well. What's, what's interesting is the link there is the uh, general manager, Joe, Joe Douglas. He was the Raven scout in 2008. So, and, and they're big mates. Um, so he, I think he's definitely gone there to give Donald some, you know, the front office has probably gone right. Let's get him in. But yeah, I mean, why not? You know, he's he's the most boring man in the world, but he gets the job done. No, oh, absolutely. Um, thanks for that, buddy. So for all our listeners um, tuning in for the first time in almost two weeks, um, this podcast is going to be in three parts. Um, it's about our favourite players in the NFL, and it's players that also don't play for our supported teams, but we have picked one player that will be from our team. Um, so we're going to focus on that. Um, I think probably the way we'll do it today is we'll pick one player today um, at the end, tail end of next week, start of the next again week, we'll do two players and then for the third episode I think it'd be really good to get the guys that were on for our fan international special, get them on and talk about their favourite players as well um, so that's what we'll do because it's really nice to get the NFL UK community involved so to start off Gareth who have you got as one of your favourite players ever? So, Chase do. So, I wanted to talk about <clears throat> player a player that players that might not have the biggest trophy cabinet, and they might not be as well known to UK fans, but they still had a huge impact on the game. Um, so, the person it's I'm not a Tottenham player about, is it? Like stars in rise tonight, Matthew. I'm going to be the person I'm going to talk about. He never even appeared in a playoff game for his career, but he's revered to this day as someone who changed the position of middle linebacker, and that is Dick Butkus. So, this was born in Chicago, um, tough working class upbringing. Um, His parents were Lithuanian immigrants, they had eight kids. His father was an electrician, his mother was, I think she worked like a laundry. So, you know, proper uh, blue collar, hard nosed, hard talking upbringing. And he played his entire career in in Chicago as well, played for Chicago Vock High School. And then he went to the University of Illinois, the fight in Illini. He was a linebacker and a couple of games of centre as well. Proper glittering college career. He was a two-time All-American collegiate. He had a Rose Bowl victory in 63 or 64, I think. Um, lineman of the year by UPI. Uh, and he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 83. So he, he, was, he was someone who was considered a real outlier at, at middle linebacker in college. And there was... Even though he went high in the draft, people didn't really think that he'd, he'd suit the way that middle linebackers operated the NFL. But the Bears drafted him uh, in 65, third overall, hell of a draft. 
uh, Joe Namath went 12 to St. Louis. And Mike Curtis as well, another big intimidating linebacker, went to the Colts at 14, or the Baltimore Colts as, as they were then. So when he was drafted, he was 6'3", um, 245 pounds. So he was exceptionally large for a linebacker, but he had great athleticism as well. They thought he was going to get drafted at centre, but the, the Bears went all in on him. Um, he played nine seasons, eight Pro Bowls. He was first team all pro six times, uh, twice defensive player of the year, and he, he established himself in, in in a Bears team with Gail Sayers, the, the legendary running back, who were mm-hmm. pretty awful. You know, he, he he didn't have the the kind of defense around him to make a massive impact straight away, but he he was still one to one to note as soon as he came into the league. Um, it is. He established himself as a ball hawk, and he had, he had a penchant for forcing turnovers as well. When when middle linebackers, they weren't really expected to do those kind of things. They they were run stuffers, and they were, you know, audible callers and and that kind of thing. He didn't drop back in the coverage much, and his you know his his career stats over the eight years is absolutely amazing. He intercepted twenty two passes for a six three two four five guy, twenty seven fumbles recovered. It was a record, and he retired. Um, 1,020 tackles, but he was responsible for causing so many more fumbles as well. But the way that he tackled people, people were so scared of of how he tackled them. Uh, they used to cover up before he hit them, which caused them then to, to lose the ball. Um, and in 2009, the, the NFL Network named him the most feared tackler of all time. And if you look at some of his hits on YouTube, it is tough to watch. It really is. So I chose him because... You know, great players aren't often on shit teams, but he was that good despite the people he had around him. They, yeah, you know, the when when he played for the Bears, they won 48, lost 74, and, and tied four, you know. And the fact that he never even went to a, a, a playoff game, never mind the Super Bowl, was criminal. The, the organization never gave him the support that they needed. Uh, but he didn't care, you know. He just he just did his, you know, went about his business. And uh, I don't think that he, if you listen to the way that he talks now, he, I don't think that he regrets never going to a Super Bowl. But he, you can tell that there's there's a lot of bad blood between him and ownership, and a lot of the fans were, you know, that they, they were vocally critical of um, of the front office as well, you know, of when he played. So, I mean, that's the background. If you look at the impact then that he had on the game when he played. He, he took intimidation to another level and, and linebackers started to emulate his playing style in an era where, you know, players weren't flagged for half as much as they are now. Deacon Jones, one of the best defensive ends ever to play the game and a, and a, a madman on the field himself. So I love this quote. He said, Butkus was a well-conditioned animal and every time he hit you, he tried to put you in the cemetery, not the hospital. I just think that's brilliant. He used to do things like bite quarterbacks, hands in pileups, <laughs> the, the Lions tight end Charlie Sanders, he said Butkus used to like, you know, he used to growl in the line and say, I'm gonna poke you in your eye through your face mask. He intercepted a pass once from uh, the Vikings quarterback, Frank Tarkadan, near the goal line. And instead of taking the ball into the end zone for a touchdown, he just turned around and run the Tarkadan as well to run him over. He just used to love like absolutely smashing people. And oh one sec. Justin and Mike, you know, we it, it, it was it, it's tough now for us to 
look at players as intimidating as that because the NFL is so so sanitized now and so much stuff doesn't yeah. fly, you know. And he got asked by a reporter if he was as mean, you know, as all the rumors suggested in the late sixties, and he said, I wouldn't go out to hurt anybody deliberately unless it was, you know, important, like a league game or something. So he knew, like, you know, what he was getting at and he understood the the mystique and the and the aura that he had. But it's it's tough to articulate how other players viewed him, you know, without going into superlatives. The the Bears lost to the Lions um in the first game of sixty-nine. And uh, the Lions had a rookie running back, um, Alty Taylor, that he told and he told reporters before the game, like people reporters used to try and get, you know, players to talk shit about Bacchus because they knew it would like proper, you know, wind him up. And um, he told reporters before the game that Buckus was overrated. So Buckus didn't hear that. He only heard it after the game. So the next time they played that season, Buckus chased Taylor out of bounds, right? But he kept on going. And Taylor, like, jumped into the stands at Wrigley Field and wouldn't go back on the pitch because Buckus was, like, <laughs> saying, I'm just going to, like, you know, I'm just going to, like, take your head off. So it's just little things like that. But Bill, Bill Curry, the... Head coach, who's a head coach of Georgia State now, uh, he played for a few teams. He said that Buckus had an aura, um, and he said that before you could block him, you had to overcome the mystique. And I, I just love that because it perfectly encapsulates the way that he changed the position. People were mindful of him before they went on the field. You know, much in the same way as they were of people like Jordan, uh, still you know we spoke about earlier on is is that they they'd, rookies would talk about him and worry about him all week before they went up to play against him, you know. He'd, he'd do things, like Curry said, he'd do things like he'd shake the ball in the ref's face to get a call, like the ref would point it the other way, you know. Um, he, knocked, <laughs> he knocked out Elsie uh, Greenwood on a special teams play, and, uh, like, Greenwood was, like, carted off, and, um, you know, a run, like, Steelers running backs, uh, man, Ray Mansfield was saying they come back in a huddle, you know, with eyes, like, fucking cue balls. You know, because they just couldn't believe what you know Buckus was saying to them and the way that he played against them. So yeah. you know, it's it sounds cliche to say all these things, but you know, the that is probably the main reason as to why um, he, he changed the position is because middle linebackers were after Buckus were seen as defensive captains that people needed to fear. You know, who, who growled down the line and made it known to everyone that. They, they were going to ruin people, you know. Um, he's still viewed to this day as the gold standard by which other linebackers are measured. He didn't define a position technically. Um, his predecessor at the Bears, Bill George, probably did that. Did that. But he was the mould for the run-stuffing defensive captain. You know, big guys after Butkus needed to be all over the field, you know, forcing turnovers. He wasn't quick up and down the pitch, but from sideline to sideline, there they weren't there weren't many people, you know, quicker than him. And that's that's how he was able to force so many turnovers. Is because if if you look at his plays, you know, he's he, he might have switched to right outside linebacker for a few plays, and then they'd audible to go right, like the they'd call um, like the running back if they're in a shotgun would come around the other side of the linebacker or something. The wide receivers would switch ends. And he'd still somehow make a tackle over the other side of the line. It was it was just like it's it's one of those people where 
you find it difficult to understand how he was athletic as, as, as he was because because of how big he was, you know. And his honours just speak volumes. Um, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 79. Um, the Bears retired number 51 a couple of years after he retired. And even to this day now, when people talk about great defensive players, out of all the, the defensive players that have come after him as well, um, he's, he's consistently ranked in the top 10. Gil Brandt said he's the third greatest linebacker of all time behind uh, Darren yeah. Thomas and Lawrence Taylor. He was named the uh, 75th anniversary all-time team. Um, but the most important of all, Sylvester Stallone named his pet bull mastiff Butkus. After his dog ate the blanket. And that was the dog in uh, in the Rocky film as well. He, um, I know, I, he retired fairly. Sorry, go on. I know. I, I just wanted to say, Butkus. Yes, someone. Hey, Butkus. Yeah. How you doing for the meat? He was a good dog. <laughs> He's a good dog, isn't he? <laughs> he was. He's, it's also a bit of a tragic story as well, because he was so hard hitting. He had real trouble with injury with with his knees throughout his career, and he played pretty much the last two years of his career from 1971 to 1973. They used to dose him up. He alluded to it in his football life. They used to dose him up before the game with you know things like uh, well whatever they used to give. Professional sports players back in those days who, who were injured, but they wanted them to carry on playing, which you can't, they can't do now, obviously. But he played for two yeah. years, barely able to walk after a game, you know, which is all the more incredible, really, given that he had an impact all the way up until he retired. So that's Dick Butkus. I think he's, he's my favorite player, non Steelers player. You know, just to say, he totally changed the position of middle linebacker. There was never a player as intimidating as him. And if, Probably hasn't been since. And modern middle linebackers, if you look at the way they play the game and the influence they have or seek to have along the line, it all comes back to backers for the Bears in, in the early 70s. That's really cool, man. That's really cool. Definitely, I used to go on uh, YouTube and actually look this guy up because I'm going to be honest, I don't know a great deal. About, I mean, I know who he is, but I've not actually watched um, a lot of tape, tape or footage. But I mean, Gareth, actually, for some reason, because obviously we've kept a secret to who we're going to have, but I thought you'd had O.J. Simpson for some reason. Sorry, I'd have what? I mean, because I thought you'd had O.J. Simpson because he could definitely kill a defence, um, and he was a good fit for the Bills like his gloves were. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you said him, I knew there's going to be something about killing and some form of glove-related quip. And you I probably just, just Googled O.J. Simpson jokes as well, haven't you? Well, well not funnily enough, it. right, in when I was doing um when I was looking up how other people considered Bacchus, Simpson was one of them who, who was talking about him, you know, and Bacchus mm. used to do things like <laughs> like before a game, if he if he needed to, you know, intimidate someone or just, you know, get into someone's head, like he'd walk over to where they were practicing and he did that to Simpson. Like when he was drafted for the Bills, he was a hot shot. So he said Bacchus like sought me out before the game. He said he was really nice to me, but the look in his eyes said, you know, something else. So that's the kind of thing he used to do. But people were just too scared of him to tell him not to do it. You know, it's just just amazing. Some of the, yeah, look, look him up on some of the stories are just incredible. Like he used to just like going up and intimidating refs and oh, like spitting on centers' hands and, and all this kind of thing. Just, just mad. 
No, well, cheers for that, buddy. That was really good. I'm going to check that out. So, um, Soup Deep, obviously, I know you're not going to have OJ Simpson now. So, where are we going with this one? Is it Michael Vick? Or are we going with Hernandez? Where are we? You're barking up the wrong tree with Michael Vick. <laughs> <laughs> um... Hernandez. <laughs> right, guys, let's keep this clean. Let's yeah, keep this clean. I know. We don't want to offend any people, do we? But um, I am going for a Bills legend, believe it or not. So, um, in terms of what I've gone for, I've gone for players that I think have done a lot outside of the game, you know, as well as, you know, sort of in the game as well. So a lot of the players I'm going for are players that I sort of respect on and off the field. So in this particular podcast, um, I'm going to go for Jim Kelly, quarterback out of the Buffalo Bills. Um, For me, Jim Kelly is, he epitomizes what you need on the field, you know, in terms of a character. He's been through such a lot, you know, on and off the field, you know, in his life. So for me, um, you know, it's, it's a no brainer with him. Um, many people are going to remember Jim Kelly as being the guy who lost four Super Bowls in a row. But I think a lot of what he's done has been lost so much in those four Super Bowls. Um, if you think about it, how many quarterbacks have got to four Super Bowls in a row? None. None. Exactly. So the fact that you even have that mental, that mentality just to try and get to the Super Bowl, knowing what's on the line, knowing that if you lose, you're going to have a whole city again and again sort of on your back. And I just think that takes a lot of guts to want to go back to that Super Bowl. Now, as a Leicester City fan, we kind of went through that in the sort of early 90s with Leicester being in the playoffs. We lost the first two playoff finals um, to Blackburn and Swindon and then finally won one against Derby after the third time trying. Can you imagine having to go through that same process of losing four big Super Bowls in a row? I just can't fathom that. And the fact that you actually got there as well, I wouldn't want to go back. Can I, can I ask a really quick question, Chuck? Yeah. What would you rather lose? One Super Bowl like Matt like Matty Ice lost or four in a row? Which one? I think the Matty Ice one. Yeah. Yeah. To to lose four Super Bowls in a row. Could you imagine on that fourth Super Bowl at half time, just trying to motivate that team and that whole locker room know? that that QB yeah. has lost the last three Super Bowls. Make no mistake, I'm not disrespecting Jim Keller or what he's achieved, but when he's given that speech with the coach in the locker room and he's trying to motivate that team to go out and do the you know, the, the last two quarters and that team's saying he's been here three times before, it's, it's, and I think it's inspirational and tragic at the same time, but yeah. I'll let you get back into that, Suk. No, and I was going to say, I mean, it all stems from the first Super Bowl as well, the one against the New York Giants. Everyone remembers when they look at famous Super Bowl plays it's that missed field goal and and every time I watch it and I'm sure you guys I don't know if you've seen that Super Bowl but every time I see it I'm convinced it's going in and then all of a sudden it just goes Same. wide wait yeah, yeah. and it's Same. like I, I just it's just unbelievable but sort of going back to Jim Kelly I mean the reason why I sort of picked him I know I sort of said I, I watched started watching the NFL from the international series but I did sort of get into the NFL in sort of the late 80s. Um, it was something that was just on Channel 4, but I didn't really take too much of an interest in it. I was more interested in knowing sort of the team names and the logos. And 
the teams that sort of spring to mind from my memory from that, from there being a five-year-old, I remember the Bears, I remember the Cowboys, I remember the Niners, and I remember the Bills. And I think a lot of that is down to sort of Jim Kelly and sort of getting to those Super Bowls. Yeah. Um, sort of Jim Kelly, I mean, in terms of his career, he had a bit of a funny start, to be honest, when he first um, got drafted. So he was in the 1983 draft, uh, which had John Elway and Dan Marino in it. Now, I don't know if you guys have watched this documentary, but it's called um, Elway to Marino. It comes on um, BT Sport or ESPN, shall we say. Um, it's the whole story of the 1983 NFL draft. So wow. it goes into That's detail about... No, it's absolutely awesome. Yeah, amazing, I've seen it. amazing documentary. So the agent, um, one of the, the main agent that they had in that documentary was the agent for uh, Dan Marino and John Elway. So Jim Kelly sort of get, gets lost in the shuffle in this documentary. It's more obviously the name tells you all Elway to Marino. But Jim Kelly was also in that draft and he was drafted before Dan Marino as well. Um, it just tells you the whole story about how. John Elway didn't want to play for the Baltimore Colts because he didn't like the sort of ownership on and what they were doing. So he was trying to convince the Colts owners not to not to draft him, but they still ended up drafting him. Then the whole story was about them trying to negotiate him to go to another team. Um, and then eventually we know he obviously went to the Broncos and that's history. But also in the middle of that, another player who didn't actually want to be drafted um, by a certain team was Jim Kelly. So Jim Kelly, um, the story goes that the Bills had two picks in the first round of that draft. So the first pick in that draft, the Bills picked, um, I can't remember who they picked, but they picked uh, another player. And Jim Kelly tells the story how he was on his couch with his mother. He was so excited that the Bills didn't draft him that he flung his arms up in the air and knocked his mother out and she like fell on the floor. Uh, and he's like apologizing to his mom saying, I'm sorry, mom, I'm sorry, you know. Um, and then his agent's ringing him saying, by the way, the bills are up again in two more picks. And he's like, oh, God. And then the inevitable happened. Uh, the bills drafted him. And he didn't actually go on to play for the bills until two seasons later, because the story goes is he was in the bills office. He gets a phone call from the USFL which was another developing football league. Um, they advised him that if he was to join the USFL, he could get a pick of any, um, any team of his choosing and become their main, main star in the USFL. Yeah. So he decided to actually join the Houston Gamblers. So for the first two seasons of his footballing career, professional career, was at the Houston Gamblers. Um, That's a great name. And it was own. Yeah, Exactly. And the only reason why he joined the Buffalo Bills was because the USFL went under and Jim Kelly was not left with any choice but to join the Bills reluctantly. Um, and then, obviously, the rest is history. But it's just so interesting that he went from not wanting to join the Bills, being that adamant by joining another football league, and then all of a sudden becoming the biggest legend, you know, in at the Bills. So that that's an amazing story for me, to be honest, just that alone. Um, you know, him sort of refusing to play and it says a lot about, you know, him sort of persevering, getting through that 
and then you know making it work. Uh, I mean that that Buffalo Bills team was absolutely amazing. If you look at some of the players they had, they had Andre Reid, uh, wide receiver Bruce Smith, an absolute legend on defense. Furman Thomas, um, yeah. you know, it was just an absolute legendary team. And also with Jim Kelly, um, another thing I sort of like about him is sort of what he's done off the field. Like I was saying, you know, he's he's had to go through a lot of personal trauma, not only for him personally, but also his family. You know, his his son Hunter um, passed away sadly with, um, you know, a rare cancer at eight years old. Oh, God. You know, he, he built a foundation. Yeah, exactly. Imagine having yeah. to go through that. I mean, you know, we've, we've all got children and you just, you just can't think of anything worse than having to deal with that, you know, in the middle of your career and having to deal with, you know, everything that's going on with, you know, your family and, and for that to happen, is just an absolute tragedy. And, out of that, he's obviously built a foundation for his son as well, which is a very successful one to help thousands and thousands of other people in sort of similar situations dealing yeah. with this sort of trauma. Um, Jim Kelly himself has had to deal with um, having jaw cancer, you know, on yeah, multiple jaw, occasions. Oh occasions yeah. and it, my nose already. God. Exactly. And each time, you know, the guys come back from it, you know, um, to come back from it from three times. So in a way, we're talking about him losing out in his professional career by losing four Super Bowls in a row. But the guys come back from cancer on three occasions. That's just a win, isn't it? You know? Yeah, he's a warrior. That's a warrior. warrior. Absolute warrior. I just, just, yeah. I just um, looked him up. He, contra- he contracted MRSA, MRSA as well. Yes, RSA. Yes, yes. Jesus Christ. That was three months after the exactly. exactly. crazy. Free. <laughs> in the background on the NFL Network right now, it's actual Cowboys... Um, Bills, Super Bowl. Oh, <laughs> As we're talking, this is crazy. Yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it? I mean, they lost um, They lost twice to the Cowboys, actually, back-to-back, didn't they? Well, I remember one yeah. of them was an absolute thrashing. Um, which one have they got on out of interest, do you know? Or... Um, it's just went on the uh, um, advert at the moment, but I'll let you know when it comes yeah. back on. But, but what you're saying about Jim Kelly, I mean, you look at how much of a warrior that guy is. To lose one Super Bowl, then to come back again and galvanise a team, take them to a second Super Bowl, lose. Go to OTAs, drafting, minicamp, start for pre-season, get to a third Super Bowl, and then to do a fourth Super I mean, fair enough, he's lost, but to just keep that team motivated, driven, and to get to... oh, I couldn't do it. I don't know any quarterback who could have but, done that. I don't, I don't care who, no. which quarterbacks you're talking about. The most successful quarterbacks in the world, I don't think they could have done what he's done. But just going back to some games that Jim Kelly's sort of been involved with, one game in particular does pop up a lot actually on our screens on Sky Sports Classics. Um, so if you if you watch the um, sort of channel which is dedicated to the American sports, they will play this game quite a lot, which is the Buffalo Bills against the Houston Oilers. Um, that game finished 47-41 um, and it went into overtime. It was an absolute epic game. It's definitely one that I would advise you guys to watch if you do get the opportunity to do it. So in that game, he had 363 yards, five touchdowns, basically led the 47-41 win in overtime. Uh, They were behind in that game as well. Um, He was sort of going toe-to-toe with Warren uh, Warren Moon, um, you know, an absolute sort of legend in the game as well. Um, It's just a real epic match. But another match as well that I really enjoyed of his was when he actually outplayed Dan Marino. Um, so he, they beat the um, Dolphins 44-34. Uh, 
This was back in 1991. It was a divisional playoff game as well. Um, so on that day, he went 339 yards, uh, three touchdowns. And it's just an absolute masterclass performance from him as well. Um, you, you know, and what can I say? Jim Kelly, you know, Hall of Famer, you know, in 2012. I think he went to five Pro Bowls, if I remember. Um, and for me, obviously, the biggest thing for me with Jim Kelly is I actually got to meet him um, a few years ago as well. And you guys know, obviously, I meet quite a lot of, um, you know, these sort of NFL players and athletes in general. One of the most nervous times I had was actually meeting Jim Kelly. I just remember being in the hotel in London. There was a talk with him and Furman Thomas. I just remember being right at the front of that, just listening to every word he had to say. Wow. And I remember just being eager because I had my little mini helmet in my um, little backpack and I just had my little pen in my hand. And all I was hoping was as soon as he finished talking and the show's over, I just want to go up to him and, and, and get him to sign um, the helmet. And it, it was so strange because when it finished, everyone got up and had the same idea as me. I just thought I was being a genius with this idea. <laughs> and the first thing he said was, the first thing he says was, I'm only signing one. And I just looked like, I just, my heart just crushed because I thought he meant I'm only signing one autograph. He went, no, I'm signing only one each for everyone because I want to get through everyone. And Whoa. I was like, oh, thank God for that. Because I just, because, because there was somebody who was signing for someone else who beat me to it. And I was like, you're ruining my dreams. And I just remember like being so relieved. And I've still got that helmet to this day. And, you know, once I've sorted my sort of man cave out, it's going to take an absolute, um, it's going to be right place the there. centerpiece. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely going to be a centerpiece. And as I say, Jim Kelly is definitely a player, you know, who I have, a total amount of respect for for everything he's done on and off the field. Now I've said that a few times, but he he definitely deserves it in my book. Wow, I mean that's incredible, and I think this is what's special about doing um, these legends um, episodes. And I think we'll continue this right through until the season starts um, every so many months because it just gives you an insight into these incredible players. You know, obviously, I know that people in America are very dedicated to their teams, very much how Gareth is to the Steelers, but as a whole. I love the, the NFL all round. And I could tell you, all 32 teams, I could pick two or three players right now that I absolutely love and admire. But when we're talking about the legends of the game, I mean, I'm just listening to you two guys and the hairs on my neck are just standing up and I'm like, wow. There's a lot and of hairs gives... there as well, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Especially the beard man. It's like right over. I'm like cousin it now. I think, the just... reason, I think the reason why it gets so emotive because American football is so ingrained into American culture as well. So when we so when yes, we talk about yes. massive players like Jim Kelly, Dick Buckus, you know, they, they they had a cultural impact as well, rather than just being people that played, you know, chuck the pigs get the game. And that's what gets me going. It's it, it's people that just just yeah. transcended the sport and, and had an, an impact on the whole country. Yeah. And for anyone listening to this podcast, please and I'm going to do exactly the same because I, I know Jim Kelly, I've watched the Super Bowls. But now, through what's given me that information, I want to go and see more of what Jim Kelly's done and read up more of his history. So, I mean, thanks, uh, Gareth and Souk, for that, because that's, this is what this podcast is all about, is for us to learn, but also for the fans listening, to get as much insight on the, the people that made the game what it is today, because I genuinely believe that those players have made the, and shaped the game to where we are today, because everyone's so focused on the modern players that sometimes these legends get forgotten about. 
and NFL Network and NFL Game Pass. I mean, just the NFL history alone and all the NFL films and life stories are just, oh, I could sit for hours yeah. and hours just watching them. I mean, it's it's absolutely fantastic. Um, so thanks, guys, for that. Um, I'm going to move on to the final section. And for me, it's it's a player that's it's been with me since I was nine-year-old, and that is Barry Sanders. Um for me, he's the greatest running back of all time, and that's even more than any any player from the Steelers. Mm. Now, um, before I sp- before mm-hmm. I start this, me going into it, um, I have this argument all the time, and everyone says that Emmett Smith is a much better running back than Barry Sanders, but I disagree because look, Barry Sanders was a he carried the whole of that offense for the the Lions in his career. Now, if you look at if you put Barry Sanders in that Dallas Classic team. I think they would have went on to win more Super Bowls, and I'll talk about that more. I mean, you look at the the, the Dallas team. It was Troy Aikman, you had um, Steve Burelin, you had Emmett Smith, you had uh, Tommy Agee, you had Daryl Johnson, Michael Irvin, Alvin Harper, Jay Novak, uh, Alexander Wright, Robert Awake. And then you look what Barry Sanders had. I mean, Eric Kramer is his quarterback. Andrew Ware, Barry Sanders. So before I go into it, um, who would you say is a better running back, Emmett Smith or Barry Sanders? It's just... I'll let Gareth go first. Yeah, it's just really interesting to hear what people say because the two were elite for their time and Barry Sanders, but it'd just be interesting just what these guys think. They were different kinds of running backs. They they were. like Sanders was better without too many defenders around him in finding holes in front of him. Very explosive as well. Was, you know, where's... Where's the tackles? Um, I'm gonna just gonna sit behind my blockers, and even if someone gets through them, they're not gonna bring me down. I will make five or six yards every single carry. But if you look at the way that Barry Sanders played, yeah, he was he was graceful. Even if he broke the line, even if he had two safeties bearing down on him and a cornerback scampering, it wasn't no thing to him. So I I just think they're totally different kind, not totally different kinds of players, but mm. they they both brought something different to, the, to their teams. Yeah. Yeah. No, good point. Good point, Suk. What's your view? Yeah, I mean, it goes without saying, Emmett Smith is probably the more decorated out of the two, you know, in terms of he's got the Super Bowls and, you, Three, you yeah. know, and, and Barry, poor old Barry's ended up, you know, with 10 seasons at the Detroit Lions and then deciding, you know, enough is enough. You know, he did leave the game, you know, far too soon. Um But for me, I actually go for Sanders, uh, personally speaking. I, I'm one of them players and I'm sorry I'm one of those guys who goes on sort of individual performances rather than sort of accolades Uh, for me you know he's been to 10 pro bowls he's had nine seasons of over 1300 you know rushing yards you know that is that's an an amazing achievement for me and for me actually out of my favorite running backs I I would have to go with Sanders and uh, Ladanian Tomlinson they're my two personal favorites tell you the truth so uh, you've definitely definitely agree with you there Stuart yeah no absolutely and I mean obviously um, for everyone listening Gareth's had to go as his child's a bit unsettled so um, it's just me and Suit continue this on but I'm just finishing off with my section but it's my part on Barry Sanders is more of a story opposed to where you guys have went there because it takes me away back to 1988 when I was seven year old um, my dad was in the military um, and when he was off duty, he would come back to, to Edinburgh, Scotland, where I am, um, when he was obviously off duty, and he would bring home VHS videos, and it was the Steelers. It was a Terry Bradshaw era Steelers. It was the 74, 76, 78 
um, era, and that's how I became a, a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. But I remember um, going over to Medicine Hat in Canada um, 91 for Christmas, going into the 92 season um, for, for New Year uh, with my mother and my brother and my youngest brother, who was just born. It was one of the reasons why we went over, because my dad couldn't um, actually get any leave. Um, and it was just... We, we sat there, it was, if I remember right, it was the divisional playoff game. It was ended up 38-6, and it was the game that had that iconic Barry Sanders run where he takes a handoff 47 yards straight into the end zone. And I remember just sitting there, and I, even as a Steelers fan, I was just like, what did I watch there? And obviously the, the network then, I can't remember if it was on Fox or CBS, but they just rewind, you know, replayed it and replayed it. And it absolutely blew my mind just watching a running back with that explosiveness. And it was a part of me was like, is this when I become a, a Lions fan? Well, thank God I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that wouldn't um, bode well for the future. But when you think of, you know, Barry Sanders, you know, that prototypical NFL running back, it's easy for your mind automatically just to drift to Barry Sanders. He had that perfect combination of speed, grace, elusiveness. He was so athletic. Um, and if you ask every football man, fan sorry, to name their top five running backs, not so much the new generation of fans, but the generation fans of old like us, Barry Sanders will pop in that top five without a shadow of a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, for me, he is the single greatest running back of all time. I mean, it's actually crazy to think, though, that following the 1998 season, at the age of 30, he just cut his career. You know, and, that, and what he achieved in 10 seasons, I mean, if you look back, 15,269 rushing yards on 362 attempts, 1,400 yards short of um, Walter Payton's record, 99 rushing touchdowns, 352 catches for 2,921 receiving yards, 10 receiving touchdowns, 1997's Most Valuable Player Award, 10 times Pro Bowl, 6-time All-Pro Selection, 1989 Rookie of the Year, 1994 AP Offensive Player of the Year. I mean, Sander led the league in rushing four times, including a season in which he rushed for over 2,000 yards. He had double-digit rushing touchdowns total six times, including one season in which he led the league with 16. He's one of only four players with more than 15,000 rushing yards, and that's including Emmett Smith, Walter Payton and Frank Gore. I mean, what you need to remember, that the average running back, I mean, sort of tends to decline in their 30s, but Barry Sanders was in his peak. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I think he still had another three, four years of playing at the, the highest level if he had stayed healthy. Um, but putting that aside, I think he is the greatest running back in NFL history. I mean, his overall, overall career stats are impressive enough. I mean, there's some stats that Streak Sanders comply that puts him head and shoulders above any competition. I mean, since 1960, I was on a pro football focus earlier. Um, since 1970, the NFL-AFL merger, Sanders has the most yards per carry by almost a quarter of a yard with 4.99. He holds the record for most times rushing for more than 1,400 yards with seven. Sander has the most career games in which he rushed for over 150 yards with 25 points. Um, he once put up 100 rushing yards in 14 straight games. Wow. He rushed for 1,100 yards in 10 straight seasons. I mean, that's never been accomplished by anyone else. Yeah, It's just insane. I mean, one stat in particular that just showed how dominant Sander was, and I pulled this up, um, was during the 1994 season, it was 12 Russian plays netted over 50 yards. He had six of them. For the following season, he added four more to give him 10 over the course of two seasons. In the same span of time, no other player in the league had more. Um, I mean, I could go on forever and ever and ever and, and look at talk about where he came from, his history. But for one player to have that impact on me and 
I just was absolutely blown. Wait, when was it now? 2015? It was the Lions Chiefs at Wembley. Yeah. yeah. And um, I got the chance to meet Barry Sanders. Um, I've probably seen the photo. Um, he, he was up on stage at the tailgate. Um, and Neil Reynolds was like, right, there's your opportunity. Go in and get him. Hmm. And security just absolutely grabbed me. But luckily, um, at that time, I, with NFL UK, I would get a jersey to wear to go and support the tailgate. So I had the Lions jersey on. And I'm like, Barry, I've come all the way from Scotland. I'm your biggest fan. And he just stopped. And I got five minutes with the legend. Um, and it, it just sticks with me to this day. It, I got to meet that guy. Um, but Barry Sanders, wow, what a running back. Um, I mean, I could watch him all day. And for some reason, I, I won't spoil what we're going to talk about in later episodes, but um, I just, I, there's a part of me that Barry Sanders is my favourite player of all time. And I think that's just because I was in Canada Medicine Hat at the time. Um, me and my, my brother and my baby brother, who was just born, I think he was literally four or five months old, or sat watching this game live on TV, which was very difficult to watch back home in Scotland. Um, and just watching Barry Sanders and it stuck with me and then obviously getting to see him um, at Wembley in 2015 and not play obviously just as a, a spectator was just absolutely incredible yeah. so yeah I mean it's just amazing that we all have these these stories and I can't wait to to get on to the um, the, the next episodes now Suk is your little boy still up by any chance? Yeah he's uh, listening on wondering why is daddy being so loud he's literally just got the TV on he's watching a classic Super Bowl, uh, the Broncos and Panthers. <laughs> well, not a classic, but he's watching a Super Bowl, um, the the Manning Super Bowl where the Broncos won. That's brilliant. Yeah. Does he want to jump on? Yeah, I'll ask him. Kerry, do you want to jump on? Yeah, he's nodding. Yeah, yeah get him on. Come on then. You're just going to speak to Stuart, okay? He's going to ask you a couple of questions, probably. I don't know. Say hello. Hello. Hello, Kerry. How are you doing? Okay. Good. Welcome to the podcast. Soon you'll be taking over from your father and you'll be the next host on this podcast. So for all the listeners that are listening, um, Kiru, what team do you support? LA Rams. Oh. <laughs> How do you think? Do you think you're going to win the Super Bowl in this season coming up? No, I definitely won't. <laughs> oh. Good answer. He's honest. Good answer. He's honest. Um, and who who's your favourite player for the Rams? Not really sure. My favourite player went to the Falcons. <laughs> oh, you're a Todd Gurley fan? Yeah. Oh. So, have you ever met Todd Gurley? No. But have you got any autographs from Todd Gurley? Yeah. Ah, so that's why he's your favourite player. Um, I'll ask you a question. Are you a fan of Gerard Goff, the quarterback? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who else do you but, like? You um, like um, Jalen Ramsey. You like who's the other player you like? You've got um, who did you meet last year? Which uh, which Rams player did you meet last year? Your birthday twin. Oh, yeah. Ah. So last year I took him down to. London to see, um, well, to meet Robert Woods, and he they actually share the same birthday, so he actually got a mini helmet signed from him saying birthday twin. So that was a, a very special moment, wasn't it, Kirit? Yeah. And obviously, I've I've met you when we were down in London, um, 
I know obviously it's not Rams, but is there any players that you've met that you were really happy that you got to meet? Larry Fitzgerald, one of them. Have you met Larry Fitzgerald? Yeah. No, I didn't know that, and your father's not told me that <laughs> one as well. That is it. That is you've kept that a good secret. Wow. Do you remember what happened when you met Larry Fitzgerald? Like, did did he accidentally tread on your foot? Yeah. And then you started crying afterwards. Ah, yeah. I, I remember Ollie. Yeah, I do know the yeah. story. That is amazing. And how was Larry? Was he was he really cool? Mm. How was he? Did you have we had to chase him, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, he was a bit. He wasn't. He wasn't willing to interact I don't think he straight really away. Wanted a sandwich. Yeah, but he did though at the end, didn't he? Yeah. Mm. That's brilliant. So for the listeners, obviously that are listening in, um, Kiru, what age are you? How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> Scottish accent, yeah. That's amazing. Exactly. That's the same age that I got into the NFL as well, and I became a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Um, I know it's upsetting for you, obviously. There's no games in London, but you have next year to look forward to, so that's um, really, really cool. Um, I think one thing we're going to have to do at some point, do you guys play Xbox? No, we have a PS4. Oh, I want to play you at Madden. So I'll beat you. I'll beat you. <laughs> I always play you. Prob- to be honest, you probably would beat me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kirit, for coming on. Um, and hopefully over the next coming weeks, we can get you back on. Um, and if your dad can't make the, the pod, you can come on and host it with me. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for your time, buddy. He's gone now. <laughs> Ah, uh, brilliant. See, that's what it's all about. We're talking about the legends of the game and then you've got your little boy who, who's the future of of the, the game in the NFL UK, very much like my son and my daughters because um, this is what it's all about. It's all about growing the game. So, Suk, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure, Stuart, and uh, thank you for doing this again. No, absolutely. Um, for listeners that are listening in, um, I'm really busy next week. Um, got some business commitments, so there'll be no pod next week. But the following Monday onwards, we will be back to normal. Um, if we can, we may even try and do two a week. Um, but we'll we'll just see how things go. But we'll definitely be doing one every sort of Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, I'll keep everyone updated on social media with regards to what's going on. But again, thank you for listening in. I want everyone to stay safe. Um, Gareth, um, Gareth, good night. I know you're not here, but I know you will be listening in later yeah. on. So again, Suk, thanks for joining.